The Everything Apartments podcast is provided with support from the Apartment Association of Greater Los Angeles, better known as AGLA, serving residential landlords throughout Southern California through education and advocacy. Visit aagla.org. Welcome to the Everything Apartments podcast. I'm your host, Eric Christopher. And on this podcast, we cover all topics of multifamily investments from buying and financing properties, day-to-day operations and management, and also reinvestment strategies. Property insurance, or as many call it, fire insurance, has become a tougher and tougher topic for property owners, and we in the multifamily business are feeling the effects. Based on what I'm seeing in the management portfolio, renewals are coming in at much higher prices to the degree of you know 25 to 50 percent higher on properties that have never had a claim. And I'm also told a lot of the carriers are starting to pull out from writing business in California. I'm sure most of us are in the same place. Like I said, we never had a claim on the insurance that we carry. So what's going on? And, and more importantly, what we can do to minimize the effects on our income statement. In a moment, we'll speak with Paul Smith, a longtime insurance broker here in Southern California. His firm's actually called SoCal Commercial Insurance Services. And we'll try to make some sense of all of this. But first, I'll tell you about our firm, WSC Realty Advisors and WSC Property Management. WSC has been helping buyers and sellers and managing apartment properties in Long Beach for over 16 years. Let's say you're tired of managing property yourself, or you're just not getting the reporting or the response level with the manager that you have in there now. We can definitely help. WSC never wants to be the biggest firm in Long Beach. Instead, we stay a little smaller and more agile to bring the quality you want. We can also help you if you're looking to acquire more units here or maybe do an exchange scenario to an out-of-state market or something to that degree. Visit wsc-pm.com. Call, text, or email us. All that information is in the show notes or certainly right over my shoulder if you're watching on YouTube. Mention the Everything Apartments podcast and get your first two months of management absolutely free. Whatever your challenge with your property, WSC has the solution. Paul, it's great to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure, Eric. So tell me, how long have you been in the insurance business? Because I saw that your father, like mine, and we talk about that in just a second, looks like you're second generation there. Yes. Yes. I've, I've grown up around the insurance industry You know, my whole life. Uh, I didn't actually join the industry uh, until I had already had you know one career prior. So I it's it's been twenty years. Um, I've been licensed since two thousand three, um, but yeah, I, I had a full other uh, career in another industry prior to joining insurance. So, is it mainly a commercial focus you have there, or do you do both sides? We Mix. are ninety nine point nine percent commercial. We write a few personal lines policy as an accommodation. Our commercial clients get kind of spoiled by our one-on-one uh, service and and ask us to look at their personal lines. But the markets are a little wonky right now. And so we tend to refer people to agencies that specialize in personal lines for those policies, just because it's in their best interest. You know, we specialize in commercial and, and we feel like that's really where our sweet spot is and we, where we can be at the most uh, benefit. And that's that kind of parallels what I was doing. I kind of did it backwards as my dad's an old old uh, commercial broker. And then my grandfather was a a surety bonding guy. And that's how my dad got into it. And I was a licensed broker when I was in college and and learned a whole heck of a lot. We were writing risks that were heavy construction, uh, earth moving guys and pipeline and very interesting. 
when you compare and contrast all the different kinds of businesses, the risk exposure and the premium structures and all this stuff. And then, you know, you kind of whittle it down to what we're talking about here today. And and it doesn't seem like property insurance when we kind of like move that toward looking at apartment buildings. It, it doesn't seem like there's a whole hell of a lot of moving parts with that kind of risk. No, no, not at all. It's a, it's a very, very benign, easy risk, always has been. Uh, traditionally, you know, uh, people would call us for an apartment building quote, and we could hop on a few websites and have multiple quotes within a day or two and get things bound and, and wrapped up very easily. Unfortunately, that's come to a screeching halt as of just over the last the last couple of years, especially, and, and right now is as bad as it's ever been, as bad as I've seen it in 20 years. Yeah, and that's, that, you know, that's kind of pushed the urgency of, of having you on because like you're saying, on, on your side of the provision of the insurance, it's sort of a yawner, right? You just bank book the thing. And, and for the owners and managers out there, it was more or less the same thing. You kind of eyeballed the numbers about the same as it was last year. You didn't, re- you know, you may go get a quote here and there if you're feeling like you had the energy or the desire and then you'd find out, oh, okay, that one's a couple hundred bucks difference, plus or minus. We'll stay with the one we have. But all of a sudden, like you're saying, yeah, three or four, four years ago, you started to see this thing happen. Now, I've heard different things about why, but I'm going to ask you because you're the expert, like, what happened to the industry on something as silly as an apartment building? Like most of the people listening to this never have had a loss, right? Mm-hmm. Or they did. It was, you know, something small, a dog bite or a tree smashed into something. It wasn't catastrophic. So here we are, the good kids on the block, not causing anybody trouble with claims and whammo, here you go. Here's your increase. What what drove all that? It's, it's a perfect storm, if you will. It's kind of a confluence of events that are all coming to a head at the same time. It starts with the fact that everything ends up with a few major carriers at the top of the food chain that are reinsurers. Now, for example, if, if farmers writes a policy on a building for a million dollars. Farmers does not keep a million dollars in the bank to pay for that building if it goes down. Farmers charges a premium. They keep maybe $100,000 of that risk that they have reserves for, and then they buy insurance on the remaining 900000 of that risk from, from company B. Company B then turns around and they keep maybe a quarter of a million of that on their books, and they buy insurance on the remaining 650,000. The the first dollar is the most likely to be touched in a loss. And so that's going to be the most expensive insurance dollar. As you get higher and higher into the value, you know, on a million dollar building, very unlikely to have a million dollar loss. And so the, the last, you know, couple hundred thousand dollars of insurance on that building are relatively inexpensive, except that, you know, through a, a series of worldwide natural disasters, whether it's wildfires in California or floods, you know, in Libya or earthquakes in Morocco, you know, these, these few reinsurers at the very top of the food chain they're insuring all of this. And so as, as they start to get touched, then they have to start raising their rates and it moves down through the carriers until you know finally farmers uh, is having to pay much more for the reinsurance than they used to. And they're having to charge you to make up that difference. You know, that's, that's one of the things that's going on. Uh, another thing that's going on is inflation and increased cost of construction. You know, over the past 
uh, well, it started, like you said, three or four years ago when you started noticing uh, premiums going up. You probably also started noticing that carriers were looking to increase the replacement value on your building. And that's because traditionally, you know, construction costs in Southern California had been, you know, $100 a square foot, $125 a square foot, and nobody thought much about it. You know, everyone was kind of lax and and not doing their due diligence into what it would actually cost to, to rebuild some of these buildings. And then after a couple large wildfires, when, you know, carriers had to rebuild things and it was costing them $200 a square foot, $250 a square foot, when they had been collecting premium based on 125, you know, their reserves were short. And so now they've got to turn around and they've, in, in addition to the, the cost of the, the premium, the, the rates going up, they're also having to increase the rating basis, which is the, the cost of reconstruction. So you've got that as another factor. Now, now add in the fact that investors traditionally come to insurance because it's a safe harbor for their investment dollars. Well, the insurance industry has, has been under and, and losing money uh, on their underwriting for the last couple of years. And so investors are no longer bringing capital into the market. Less capital means less reserves available to pay for losses. And so companies are pulling back what they're willing to insure and the amount of insurance that they can offer. So it's, it's a whole bunch of things kind of coming together. And you, you add in the fact that the California legislature is very difficult uh, in terms of allowing insurers to 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 model, you know, on on risk factors, and that there, you know, certain increases, you know, capped increases in premium, regardless of what the reality of the situation is, the legislature is saying, okay, well, sure, you feel like you need a thirty percent increase, we're, we'll allow you to take an eight percent increase. That was going to be my question because I I have been with the latest round of renewals and seeing like a bigger number, you know call up i've got a cup i've got like three that i've kind of used and they're telling me no oh, no stay where you're at like it seems like mercury's the one that i'm seeing that's still hanging around but the roundabout question there when you talk about the legislature maybe i don't know the fire exposure here because i've heard a lot of the carriers are pulling out of california and i was wondering what's the the driver of that is it is it the regs or is it the fires or is it both because obviously you know less supply equals higher prices, right? So right. What, what would cause a carrier to say, we're not doing California? It is a combination of the, the higher risk of wildfires. And, you know, that's a whole different story about land management and, and you know, fire mitigation and a combination of the, the legislature not allowing carriers to take rate increases based on what they see as the actual risk in the state. You know, and it's a, it's a political issue where they're saying, oh, you know, we have to protect the homeowners or we have to protect the, the property owners and keep these, these prices low. But by doing so, they're, they're forcing carriers because you, know, you and I both know as, as business people, if somebody tells us we have to run our business and lose money doing it, <laughs> nobody can do that. You know? And, and insurance carriers are no different. You know, it's, it's not like anyone has all this extra money laying around to just keep paying and paying without being allowed to run their business and make a profit. It, no, and that rings out because it, it kind of, in my mind, kind of parallels rent control. And it's sort of like I'm getting to the point with, with the government is I'm, I'm trying to figure out stuff that they do right at this point. And what they don't do right is meddling 
supply and demand and let the free market decide because through carrier A, B, and C leave the state of California. Is that normally a permanent thing or is that a cyclical thing? Like, yeah, we'll be back. We're gonna go to a higher ground for a little while, but we'll be we'll see you, we'll see you later. Or do we lose them forever? No, it, it traditionally there there have always been hard markets and soft markets in, in California and and in insurance in general. Um, I don't know if you recall a few years ago, you could not buy earthquake insurance on an apartment building in Southern California. It just wasn't available, period. This is maybe 12 years ago, 14 years ago. And then suddenly, you know, after somebody, you know, brought some capacity into the market, you know, investors saw that, uh, you know, earthquake was a, a reasonable risk and they could make money by underwriting and collecting premium and there weren't any payouts. Well, more capacity flooded in and the prices went down and you know, we had guys that had been paying forty thousand a year for earthquake. We're now paying twenty thousand a year for earthquake. That's a that's a big savings if your insurance costs are cut in half. Um, that's changed now. Earthquake prices are going up. Well, same thing with the fire and special form. Now we haven't seen this part of a market since I've been in the industry. Period. I haven't I haven't ever seen uh, this level of pullback from carriers. I believe. I truly believe that it will be cyclical and that these carriers will come back and that the the legislature will at some point, you know, sit down and and figure out okay, what do we need to do to create a healthy marketplace that will, you know, encourage competition and encourage participation and and you know, once they do that, that should provide uh, some relief and a break to uh, property owners. That's a good point because you wonder, it's got to be lucrative, right? If you're, It's like a developer who has so many hurdles and expenses to build X units in Los Angeles versus somewhere else, Texas. I don't know. Once you make it hard enough, it, the, it's like water. It's going to find its easiest path to the highest ROI. Mm-hmm. So, Certainly these folks, you know, that are leaving have a better idea in mind, but if they're not here, like, is there really a market? Like just for something silly, and you probably have even much tougher risk classes than apartment buildings. Probably most of them are with more exposure to loss, but like, is there a market right now? Or are you hanging around? Cause I know from my past experience with my dad, it was like your appointments meant everything. And the carriers you have, obviously, they're like bank lenders that will get super aggressive for a while and they'll accumulate a book of business and they'll go, okay, let's pull back a little now. So I guess the question is, is, is there a market right now or you you have one place to take the restaurant risk? You have another place to take the general contractor. Is there competition or is it just sort of a, a static right now? There, There is a truncated market. There's, there's a little mini market, if you will. There's uh, you mentioned Mercury now. I think they're renewing things. I don't believe they're writing any new business on older apartments, but they are renewing what's on their books. Um, there's a company that we work with that's part of the Berkshire Hathaway group, you know, Warren Buffett and his you know, guard and Berkshire Hathaway Direct. And uh, there is one small company there that will write some smaller, older buildings, but they're very quirky. They're very picky. They won't write a whole ton of value for a single owner operator. They may write, you know, one building for an owner, or maybe two if you're lucky, and they'll write it on the cheap. And then we've been seeing their renewals are coming in, you know, sixty percent higher, seventy percent higher than the original 
but it's still far and away better than anything we can get on the open market. Yeah, I've noticed that. I I have a building actually I own with my family that's with the Berkshire Hathaway, some affiliate of them, but I recognize the name and it seems like mm-hmm. the rest of them are Mercury, but I haven't had, I haven't seen a reason to switch in, in a couple of years now. Like when I go out and I'm almost not doing it anymore, like source it out. And I, and I've had this happen three or four times in this year. No, stay where you're at. We can't touch that. I remember when I was working with, with my dad and this was the late eighties that there was a real tough time for people to get workers comp insurance for for construction. And I don't know when it originated, but here comes the state fund insurance uh, fund to cover what I what I was led to believe was sort of like if you couldn't get the insurance anywhere else, right, that you could revert to the basically a state or state organization. And then I understand later they turned into kind of a, a real business model. But getting back to like what we're talking about here, something as standard as like an apartment building, fire policy, and a business owner's policy thing. Could there be a time when there's almost no place to take it? Um, we are approaching that time. <laughs> yeah, we 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 still have a few carriers. In addition to the, the one Berkshire Hathaway affiliate that's an admitted carrier that will write some new business, uh, the rest of... The availability is coming from what's known as the excess and surplus lines market. They're carriers that are they on what's called a non-admitted basis in California. That sounds a little bit scarier than it is. They're licensed. They're fully licensed. They write legally in California, but they don't pay a fee to participate in the Department of Insurance Insurance Guarantee Fund, which is uh, one of the requisites of, of being able to write on an admitted basis. Now, all of them are affiliated with huge uh, companies that write on an admitted basis. For example, the Nationwide Group. You know, Nationwide is on your side. Okay, they, they write on uh, Nationwide paper. They write on Amco paper that's admitted. They write on Scottsdale as another one of their companies that writes on a non-admitted basis in California. And what it does is it just it gives the carrier a little bit of flexibility and uh, not having to pre-file rates and being able to write things that are uh, a little bit off the beaten path. And, and so all of the the large groups have their both admitted and non-admitted affiliates that they write business through. So the non-admitted market is where we're seeing most of the capacity for apartment buildings, uh, especially especially we're talking about older buildings, maybe with la- uh, lack of verifiable updates to the major systems, electrical, roof, plumbing, um, you know, because a brand new building, you can still get written on admitted paper you know, in a lot of different places. But we're, we're talking about the, you know, the 19... 19- and let's face it, most of Southern California is 1950s, 60s, and 70s, you know, frame with uh, tuck under parking, um, non-sprinklered. And that's that's where the the big problems are. Yeah, Long Beach, you've you got a multitude of buildings built in the 20s and 30s. Mm. The one that I just suffered through the, the big price or cost increase was built, it's an old bricker built in 1910. There's very few, unless you're talking about the big new redevelopment stuff downtown that's meeting that new, you know, what I consider new for most of the, the stuff I work with and the owners that listen to this, like the new stuff is built in the mid to late eighties. Right. So it's not new to you as far as insurance goes, but certainly there are many, many hundreds of buildings out there that have had the same original electrical, most plumbing, 
thousands, <laughs> tens of uh, thousands. Yeah, in Long Beach, <clears throat> you know, most owners they replumb a unit when they can, and the rest of it's the original. Set. So that that was that's something I've noticed lately is the questionnaires are like exactly what improvements have you done, and then that would mm-hmm. be sort of a nice little segue into what can owners do. Obviously, <clears throat> you know, we don't we won't be able to do much, but that's probably one of the things that owners could do to like grease the skids just a little on moving forward, those improvements, although they're quite costly. And I don't know that having an extra insurance market or two is going to entice you to replumb your building. Probably not what I'm saying, but I guess more of an oversight on what's the best thing or things for an owner to do and say, okay, I'm going to renew my insurance in six months. Is there anything short of those great big improvements that they can do to make life a little easier or no? Not, not really. I mean, if you're talking about giving yourself the best opportunity to at least expand the number of markets that will look at your building, that's really what you need to be looking at is if you can't, if you can't go out and, and, you know, show proof either, you know, by showing copies of permits that have been pulled in the last 10, 15 years, which are all available online. One of the things you can do is maybe have a, a licensed contractor come out and provide an inspection report stating that I've looked at the electrical system for this building. It's in good working order. So you're not asking the guy to put his rear end over the line by saying, oh yeah, I guarantee this system isn't going to fail or cause fires. You're just asking someone to say, look, I've taken a look at this. It appears to be in good working order. And if you can have an electrician do that and a a plumber do that, a roofer or an HVAC guy do that, it saves you the expense of having to redo these systems. And it at least provides some ammunition for your broker to take to the carrier and go, look, you know, the, the guy is on top of it. He's having his stuff inspected and here are the, the, the results. That, no, that's an excellent idea that doesn't take a ton of out-of-pocket um, to do that. It doesn't take that much time. So it's almost like, why not? And then, you know, if you if you have like a third-party inspector or a contractor, you may learn a few things that property manager doesn't quite understand or see or some stuff that you want to proactively do. Mm-hmm. But that, that's kind of a good thing to, to give kind of, Give them a pitch on why your building's not just a rundown and under cared for asset to get maybe an eyeball or two, maybe a second quote, who knows? Right. And and you, it will make life much easier on your broker. Uh, another thing is if you have a broker that you like and, and you trust and you work with, stay with them. Give them the opportunity to shop the markets for you. Because what's going to happen is if you give, you know, if they give you a quote and you go, oh, I don't like that. I'm going to turn around and talk to this other guy. If your broker is worth their salt, they're already sending applications out to the markets that are available. Now you turn around to this other guy and he sends applications out to the same markets. And maybe a third guy approaches you at a, an apartment owner's meeting and says, hey, you know, I can do this for you. And you, so you give him a chance. And well, now you've got underwriters at Scottsdale and underwriters at Westchester and underwriters at Berkshire Hathaway receiving the same set of applications for your building from three different guys or gals. Um, and the underwriters are, are saying, oh, this guy's just shopping. He's not serious. That's, that's going to go down to the bottom of my pile. Uh, yeah, then the, yeah, it's natural for people to want to approach a couple sources, but it, based on what you're telling me and what I'm hearing directly on the renewals is maybe not right now. Well, I'm not, I'm not saying don't get multiple quotes, but I'm saying don't have multiple brokers do it. You know, Ask your broker, hey, who are you going out to market? You know, who are you quoting this with? You know, send me a list of the companies that you're quoting this with. And then you take that list and you turn around it. And if you want to give someone else a chance, you go, look, 
my broker is approaching these companies. Do you have anyone else? Again, if you if you are working with someone that you trust, trust that they're doing the right thing and they are going to these multiple carriers on your behalf. I mean, that's that's what we're paid to do is to to be your advocate, you know, to these insurance carriers. I don't write specifically for farmers or specifically for State Farm. I I write on behalf of you, and so I I go and scour the market. If I, if there's some place I'm missing, well then shoot, I'll I'll give you a list of everywhere I've gone, and if some other guy says, hey, I can go somewhere else, by all means, I can go somewhere else. No, that's a great idea. And it takes understanding that it, it, it's easy to forget like that a lot of you all have the same markets and why clog up the system versus farmer, state farm or all state or something has your whole package with your home and whatnot. Those are single source agents, right? They don't mm-hmm. they don't shop outside of their, their brand. So- well, technically, they're not supposed to contractually but you know there are ways around things oh okay so you may see a, a yeah your farmer your it. farmer's guy may be able to go out and get some excess and surplus quotes as well i i talked to a wholesale broker the other day and they talked to an underwriter at i think it was westchester the underwriter said they were getting 35 new submissions a day 35 new quote requests a day for one underwriter that's mm. 10,000 quote requests a year now which ones are they going to look at the ones that they think are serious and the ones that have the, the most and best information on them the ones that are showing you know either proof of updates or proof of inspections that are evidencing systems that are in good working condition what do you think about ai taking over the underwriting process uh, is that prone is that is that a a target for that you think yeah i, I think if you listen to the, the ai developers everything's a target for ai um you know and and we've seen over the last couple of years a lot of carriers attempting to sell virtually or sell directly you know, with very little human touch. I'd say that's probably a form of AI, maybe a little less advanced than what we're seeing now. But if you know, if you can go on to a website and put in a few keystrokes and get a quote back without talking to anyone, that means that there's either been a, a complete lack of underwriting or there's been some AI underwriting. Maybe I'm old or old school. <laughs> you see the, the gray in your uh, beard like I got in mine. Got it there um, too. I don't. Uh, I don't believe that AI is quite ready for the nuance that that it takes uh, to do commercial risk. Even as, as something as simple as apartment building is, you know, is a little nuanced and is is becoming more complex. You know, as we've seen from what's happening in the marketplace, I just I don't see AI as being the, the be all end all of this. We shall see, right? I'm- I'm cautiously optimistic about what it'll do, but then we we grew up at least close enough in age to see the Terminator, so there's always that in the back of our mind. Go circle back with you real quick onto that. I remember Dad's agency. We, a lot of the construction risks had to use the non-admitted offshore at times carriers that mm-hmm. some of those were okay, and others I don't know if they ever existed. Looking back on it, but all that ends up the first checkpoint is the lender or the you know, in that case, it was the owner of the project, whether that be a municipality or it. But will they allow the search to fly? So we, most of us have loans on our buildings. You know, certainly, even if you didn't, you're going to want to have insurance. But when you have a bank like Chase that looks at the quality of the certificate, like, do you feel like the banks are going to have to relax their standard of saying in California, it has to be an A-rated, admitted, et cetera, et cetera. And go like, well, 
those are extinct now. You're going to have to accept a non-admitted carrier's paper. I mean, or is that already happening? Because I don't, I don't really know. Well, the, the banks are not allowed to tell you that you can't have uh, a non-admitted carrier. They they have to accept admitted or non-admitted paper. But they the way they phrase it is a carrier that's like legally you know allowed to write in California. It, it, it leaves the, the word admitted out of it specifically. What they are allowed to do is to look for certain coverages, uh, ordinance and law, uh, boiler and machinery, you know, maybe excess liability, that they're going to have to start relaxing their requirements on. And, and most of them will in recognition of the current state of underwriting because they recognize that it's either you know the most insurance you can get or it's no insurance. Well, we'll take the most insurance you can get. And I have an example of that. <clears throat> um, I insure a building for a client and it's located just kind of the you know, few blocks down from what might be considered a, a brush area. And, and you know the, the replacement value on this building is maybe six and a half million dollars. Uh, traditionally, we've insured it through either programs uh, or in the admitted market. Uh, you know the fifteen twenty thousand dollar range for the property insurance. Well, this year, as the poop hit the fan, only insurance we could get on this building was for a two and a half million dollar loss limit and a hundred thousand dollars of premium. Now we could have bought an excess four million. For another fifty thousand in premium, but the owner said, "Well, let's let's see. Let's go ahead and we'll bind the two and a half million. We'll send it to Chase and see what they say." And so far, Chase has accepted it. It's a two and a half million dollar loss limit policy because, and again, you know, the odds of taking a, a hundred thousand or a million or two million dollar loss on this building are much much higher than taking a full six and a half million dollar loss. So Chase, you know, the banks understand that that's the, the majority of their risk is in the, the lower loss category. You know, as insurance professionals, and you know, we tend to run a little conservative because the cost of insuring the total loss is usually reasonable in comparison with, you know, a loss limit policy, we generally suggest insuring against the total loss. I mean, that's that's traditionally what you want to do. In a market like today's market is, in some instances, like for this particular building, a loss limit may make sense. Like we've, we've done, you know, traditionally more on earthquake schedules. You know, if I've got an apartment owner who's got 30 buildings, we've got earthquake on all 30, you know, the values are $55 million. Well, we've got a $10 million loss limit on this policy because the geographic spread of the, the properties is such that, you know, we don't think everything's going to go down in a single event. And, and so we look for, you know, a what seems like a reasonable value? Where's where's his highest concentration of risk? Okay, so if this entire area goes down, you've got ten million of of, of value there. Let's insure that, you know, in full. And then if something else goes down over here and it's only two million, well, then that's it's you know it's it's really it's about putting together the pieces in a way that make the most sense and mitigate the most risk without maybe covering all of it. Different times and market conditions require different strategies. We see that with the lending changing or, you know, government interference with rent control. So some of this stuff may be like insurance and then the way we didn't have rent control for ever, decades and decades. It causes us to think differently about all this stuff, maybe behaving differently than we're used to. Well, Paul, let's let's leave it there. So I'm going to put all your information in the show notes so that somebody out there that has a question about insurance can call you. And just as a reminder, Paul does all different kinds of commercials. So I know some of you out there have restaurants and 
other you know types of businesses you're running. Sounds like Paul's got all of them covered. Even if right now, maybe on the apartment buildings, he's going to tell you, like I've heard, just stay where you're at for now. But as we've seen with everything in the market, whether that's lending, like we we're talking about, or insurance, it changes. And as Paul was saying, hey, you know, right now, maybe some of these carriers are running from the hills and not right in California, but they may be back. And then a couple of years from now, Paul says, hey, we got this new market that came back and the prices are 20% lower. So a good guy to have in your Rolodex. And uh, certainly, I'm sure he'd be glad to help you. Paul, thanks again for coming in today. My pleasure, Eric. And just real quick, we are generalists. So yes, we do write all different types of, uh, of businesses. We are particularly adept at apartment buildings and restaurants, bars, and taverns uh, make up a, a big part of, of what we do on a daily basis. Thanks again. You've listened to the Everything Apartments podcast. I'm your host, Eric Christopher, and stay tuned for another episode coming soon.